Welcome to TechnoViews, a new series of interview videos and podcasts with major figures in the humanities and social sciences on topics at the intersection between technology, society, and culture in Asia and the world. My name is Joseph Bosco. I am a research associate in the Department of Anthropology at Washington University in St. Louis. The subject of today's podcast is psychotherapy in China. Our guest is Professor Li Zhang, who teaches in the Department of Anthropology at the University of California, Davis, and is author of the new book, Anxious China, Inner Revolution and Politics in, of Psychotherapy, published by the University of California Press. Hi, Li. Welcome to TechnoViews. Hi, Joe. Professor Zhang is a prolific author, including two earlier major books, Strangers in the City, published in 2001, and In Search of Paradise, Middle-Class Living in a Chinese Metropolis, published in 2010. She's also the co-editor of the recently published edited volume, Can Science and Technology Save China? Question mark. So today I want to focus on your new book, Anxious China, which is a fascinating study of the rise of psychotherapy in Kunming, what you call the Psy Fever or Psy Revolution. That's Psy, P-S-Y. Um, so you say in the introduction, and here I quote, It is my hope that the stories presented here will not only convey the anxiety, doubts, confusion, and pain of the people who shared their life experiences with me, but also their aspirations, hopes, and resilient spirits in their search for the good life in the midst of a massive society transformation, unquote. Uh, the book succeeds marvelously in doing this. What motivated you to pick this topic? Well, uh, there are multiple reasons. I think uh, I will start with the observation. So we know that in China, uh, mental distress has become a widespread phenomenon. So many people are experiencing uh, anxiety, uh, depression, and other forms of uh, emotional disorders. Um, but um, there is uh, really uh, not a, for a long time a language that people can use to describe their suffering. So it's only in the more recent one or two decades uh, that people discovered, I call it discovered, quote unquote, uh, Western psychotherapy as a way to uh, describe their emotion and uh, use this as a new tool to, uh, for their struggle. But when I started this research, not many anthropologists or even other social scientists have done uh, extensive research on this topic. So, you know, I see it everywhere around me. Um, and secondly, you probably know my previous work has been more on the more external structural changes of China uh, caused by the economic reform, either the floating population migration or urban space, middle class. So this time I feel I need to move inward to look at the inner landscape uh, of Chinese people. So I'm curious what kind of fundamental profound changes that have occurred among uh, urban middle classes in particular uh, during the reform period. So this book is sort of a way of moving inward. And the thirdly, you probably notice that this is a very personal project for me. So in the book, I described my personal encounter with anxiety after the death of my mother. 
uh, and it has become a long journey for me uh, of self-discovery, healing, um, etc. So it's a very personal project and also among my family uh, I have witnessed a lot of uh, uh, mental distress and suffering and in particular my mother I uh, wrote about her in, in my book. So I think both external academic reasons but also uh, personal and family reasons that kind of uh, led me to this project. Okay, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to come back to the personal aspect a little bit later. But maybe first, I think some of our listeners may be curious to know why you see psychotherapy as part of STS. Can you elaborate on the connection between psychotherapy and uh, science and technology? Yeah, I understand uh, STS in broad terms. And psychotherapy, you know, as a form of... Uh, uh, psychotherapeutic technology, in my view, definitely fits into this broad umbrella we call STS, right? So it's a, a part of this uh, uh, big, you know, STS field. Uh, however, psychotherapy deals with people's emotion and inner psychological processes. So uh, by nature, it's a subjective experience, unlike some other forms of <laughs> STS we know. I think psychotherapy definitely has that subjective, subjective element because it, it studies the human mind and the emotion. So I think it's a particular form of uh, science technology, you know, psychological science. Uh, right? so it's a particular form of science and technology that definitely has the more human elements, the subjective uh, elements in it. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's an important part of STS, but maybe has not uh, received enough uh, research attention. Well, certainly you, you, um, you, you, well, you, 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 focus a lot on the fact that I guess the, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you see the it part of STS primarily because of the scientism that justifies a lot of psychotherapy or do you see it more broadly because it's a therapy and is related to medicine does that make it part of STS yes yes I think it's I, I see psychotherapy in you know, the psychotherapy uh, traditionally has been part of actually psychiatry, right? So nowadays when we talk about psychiatry, we tend to think about uh, this uh, one branch of psychiatry that now studies the brain and focus on the brain and the body and focus on drug therapy. But traditionally, actually early days, uh, psychiatry was primarily based on psychotherapy as uh, Tanya uh, Lohman's book yeah, of yeah. two minds, right? To talk about the tension between these two orientations and, and subfields. Uh, so psychotherapy has its position uh, in biological and medical uh, science. It's part of that, but it has always been kind of relegated to a more marginal place, especially today with the advancement of drug therapy and big pharma. I think 
talk therapy becomes really marginalized. Nevertheless, I think it has always tried to uh, assert its uh, uh, scientific basis. It has its scientific basis, right? Try to study the human mind in scientific ways. But I think scientism is a different aspect of this. They're related, but, but we definitely need to separate uh, its po position in uh, medical science versus scientism. The problem we talk about how it tries to claim science as a panacea for everything and oversell it to people and people would buy into that blindly. And I think that's a problem, but that should not uh, confuse or uh, override its uh, position in uh, medical science. Yeah. So you note in the book, uh, as I just mentioned, that part of the appeal of psychotherapy in China is that it comes from the West and it claims to be scientific, but um, that the therapeutic techniques don't always fit into Chinese notions of personhood, sociability, and efficacy in healing. Can you talk a bit about how psychotherapists have transformed psychotherapy to fit um, the Chinese context. And I realize that that's about half of your book <laughs> focuses on that. So we don't have all the time to, to, to but I just thought, you know, listeners might be interested in, in hearing a little bit about that aspect of, of your book. Right. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. That's one of the uh, major focuses of this book. I, I, I see the book has three major focuses on on indigenization, bentuhua, and on therapeutic self. And the third one is therapeutic governing. So this is a big chunk of my research and it's very important. So if I want to kind of summarize a little bit here in a few sentences, um, so I would say uh, Chinese uh, psychotherapists have tried very hard to indigenize or turn psychotherapy into uh, something that fits the local Chinese condition and address to Chinese people's cultural sensibility. So there are several efforts uh, made by them. So in one of the chapters, I describe how Chinese psychotherapists try very hard to select a certain branches of psychotherapy. We know there are so many different orientations and branches, right? So they purposely, at least in Kunming, uh, select a certain branches uh, to fit what they think Chinese people would understand the Chinese condition and sociality. So the three are, uh, the first one is the um, Satya family model uh, in relation to Chinese people's focus on the family, the centrality of family in Chinese culture, because this particular therapeutic model really is built on the centrality of family, using family, the whole system of family, as the basis for psychotherapy, rather than focusing on the individual per se. So that's the first one. And the second one is uh, uh, CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. So uh, with regard to that, it has a very interesting parallel with a very important Chinese notion, thought work, so anyone who studied China would understand that, especially under socialism, right? So both claim that people's uh, uh, ways of thinking can be 
reformed in order to change their behavior. So if your patterns of thinking go wrong, then you're going to have a weird behavior, then you're going to have weird emotion. So they both believe in that. Of course, you know, I talk about Sixiang工作 is largely a form of political ideology, um, but CBT claims to its scientific basis. However, the forms are very similar for both. The contents are different, but the forms are very similar. So that's uh, the second realm. Chinese therapists work very hard to adapt CBT to the Chinese condition. The third one um, is sand play psychotherapy uh, and, and its relationship with Jungian theory. And so I describe how Jung discovered Chinese philosophy in the early years, and it's kind of a big loop back now to China. So Jung discovered China and created all the stuff, and then uh, sand play theory was invented by one of his students. But now it comes back to China because, it, because of this cultural affinity. So Chinese people feel very comfortable uh, of uh, accepting uh, sand place theory. So those are the three major efforts made by the Chinese uh, psychotherapist. Yeah, in terms of bentuhua uh, and the culturing mm -hmm. psychotherapy. So one of the main issues explored in the book is the relationship between culture and psychotherapy. Can you talk about this uh, a little bit? And I find it is um, this interesting because in a number of places in the book. Therapy is presented more as a cultural phenomenon imported from the West and therefore trusted as being modern and advanced, but not necessarily as efficacious. In fact, there are places where you note how uh, religious ideas are incorporated and you even refer to therapy as secular religion at, at one point. Um, so what is the relationship between culture and psychotherapy? And maybe I could say you know, other aspects of culture like religion. Mm, yeah, I think, you know, psychotherapy is deeply embedded in culture, right? Even though uh, sometimes we tend to think about, oh, psychotherapy as a global phenomenon, uh, it, it, it's imported from the West, so it has its sort of universal aura, universality, but it's not, right? Because psychotherapy was invented at a particular time in Europe and based on a very much European um, uh, Cartesian kind of a philosophy, the binary of mind versus the body. So uh, psychotherapy itself is actually deeply cultured. And when it travels around the world, inevitably, it's not just to China. So when it goes to Russia, when it goes to uh, India, it has to uh, articulate with the local social cultural conditions. So when I talk about the relationship between psychotherapy and the culture, I think in you know, a culture in a way uh, broadly defined, I think we can think about the culture uh, as a more formal sort of a uh, belief systems, for example, religion, right? We think about the traditional Chinese culture, philosophy, religion, definitely that's part of a culture. But when I talk about the, the relationship between culture and psychotherapy, I'm also thinking about uh, uh, culture as just everyday forms of practice, customs, and habits. So in that way, I think in order for psychotherapy to be successful in any given society, it needs to uh, be made addressed to the local cultural 
uh, milieu, let's use the term, maybe cultural milieu, in order for it to be successful. Um, and then in one of the chapters, I talk about the uh, articulation between spirituality and psychotherapy. So maybe religion, yes, part of that you can say religion, but it's a little bit narrow. So I kind of use the term spirituality. It's a little bit broader. Uh, <laughs> so um, psychotherapy, I think it always occupies an uneasy position. On the one hand, it wants to claim its scientific basis and efficacy. On the other hand, we, we all know when you deal with the human mind and the emotion, um, science alone can't work magic. There is always that dimension of uh, spirituality and something beyond, beyond the, the science, scientific aspect. So I think uh, people realize you have to incorporate both together uh, to create a more blended approach uh, in order to be successful. And I think that's what people in China are trying to do. And people in California, uh, we have this Mecca here, Marin County, uh, that's a good example of how to blend scientific, whatever, psychotherapy, clinical psychology with Buddhism, for example, right? So that effort uh, is actually becoming a more global phenomenon. Uh, it's more accepted than before. But in the book, you're sometimes skeptical about the scientific basis of psychotherapy. And, and you even... Uh, for, well, for example, you question the value of psychological testing for employment, and you note that um, psychotherapy is or therapy is often oversold uh, and promoted more on hope than on effectiveness. Um, in other words, you sometimes appeal to traditional notions of science of the effectiveness of science or the measure the scientific measures of, of effectiveness when you ask for the evidence of effectiveness. In addition, a major theme of your work is showing how the showing the scientism, the blind faith in science that makes psychotherapy such a popular fad in China today. Yet, as you've already mentioned, you give examples of sessions that appear to be helpful to clients. And as you mentioned, you reveal that you've had therapy yourself that you find helpful. So do you see psychotherapy in China as a sort of a fad based on scientism? Or do you see it as a, uh, uh, at least ideally, a scientific practice? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think I've always, throughout the research, I've always remained very ambivalent towards psychotherapy, psychological counseling in China. And so the answer is not maybe either or. Uh, it's not a clear-cut answer because I definitely see the value of psychological counseling in helping people who struggle with various issues. So uh, no doubt some people are getting help and it is better uh, for people to get some kind of help than nothing. All in the past, like my mom's generation, they didn't even have the language to describe it, let alone the tool. So with regard to that, I think it, it's great and I see certain benefits of psychotherapy in helping people. But on the other hand, I think this is particularly in China, probably other places too, but in China, 
I do see a lot of scientism and the claim of using science for the purpose of profits, making money, you know, running those big workshops and charging people a lot, but not really teaching people uh, the tools or not teaching them well, because even though a lot, even a lot of those gurus and teachers are really not uh, well sufficiently trained so they go out to sell this to people so I, I guess I'm very ambivalent towards this and I kind of want to bring that ambiguity uh, to the readers so it's not I'm not uh, celebrating or praising uh, psychotherapy uh, completely in China uh, on the other hand I do want to take it seriously and not dismiss it as some kind of you know brainwashing false consciousness or fake science so i think there, there, there is yeah i think you're right you picked out this tension that exists in my research and tension that exists in china yeah it's interesting because even as you describe it you talk about people not being sufficiently trained and that's that sort of implies that if they were trained better they would uh, what somehow be more authoritative or more more scientific, uh, and at the same time, some of these people are are also very effective. Um, you know, they might be. I mean, we have this problem all over the world, right? Of people who get labeled as um, fakes or, uh, or or cheats or charlatans, who are actually quite popular with their clients. Yeah, so. yeah. There's a lot of tension in China among like different camps of therapists, right? So people who are based in the universities, academia, and hospitals those, those are the people who have PhD and MD they tend to label the uh, the societal the self-trained self-fashioned therapist as fake and the lack of training however in China the frontline workers the people who are actually going out to help people are the self-fashioned self-trained therapists so uh, certainly yeah there is that tension there but I also I have encountered a lot of people if you also talk to other people they will tell you the same story uh, truly people who have who, who were trained like for three months and took the exam and then went out to open a clinic so it is kind of scary seeing there you never know <laughs> what you could encounter there yeah. So another major theme of the book is the intersection between psychotherapy and post-socialist governing. The book has fascinating examples of psychotherapy being used by the state in, in police, military, and state-owned enterprises to make employees more resilient, but also more accommodating and happier with their lot. So is uh, psychotherapy a technology or is it more like a political ideology? And of course, I'm oversimplifying by giving you these binary choices, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I think uh, psychotherapy um, is a form of technology. Uh, so that's why I call it governing, uh, therapeutic governing, right? So a form of governing that employs psychotherapeutics to improve personnel management. So it is a, we can say it's a form of a, a technology and it's deeply now incorporated into uh, governing techniques. But it is also, uh, I described in one of the chapters, used to uh, neutralize political ideology. So now 
uh, a lot of the structural problems, issues, for example, workers are facing in factories. Now they are told that it's really not a political structural problem. It's really your personal adaptation problem, right? How do you adapt to changes? You're male adapting to changes. So if you learn this tool, then you can feel happier and you can make yourself happy, your family happy, and your people around you happy. So, uh, so I described that in, in that chapter. I think it's interesting. Even though, you know, some workers kind of see that as a way of uh, uh, avoiding the management, avoiding real structural issues they're facing they have come to uh, like psychotherapy in the process of training and the learning because now they feel like, well, at least I find a little bit personal tools to help myself because I cannot change the, the, the whole big environment and political climate. And the least I can do now is at least I learn some techniques to make myself happier and I can endure uh, this changes and struggles. Um, so it's not that they're stupid, they can't see that, but I think there's a sense of um, almost like a resignation because they feel like they can't make structural changes. So why don't I just focus on myself to cope with the situation better? And it is, they tell me, it is far better to learn these new psychotherapeutic technologies, tools, than going to political study meetings we used to do, right? It was just totally useless and boring. So for them, they feel like this is much more appealing uh, than the old ways of uh, going through those political study meetings. So I guess, you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's a form of political ideology, but it definitely wants to claim a hegemonic position so that it can Denutralize, it can neutralize and depoliticize a lot of political issues. And the management find that helpful. Last question. What does your study of psychotherapy in China tell us about STS more broadly? I mean, how does the Chinese case, or maybe I should say the case of Kunming, help us uh, to understand science and technology globally? Do you see the Chinese case as having implications for the future of science and technology? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think it's very important um, uh, for us to think about. I think the case of Kunming um, psychotherapy practice is very relevant for us to think about STS globally. Uh, this case really shows that science and technology are by no means universal or neutral, right? Uh, it is always so deeply embedded in a specific cultural history um, and social environment. So it's this social cultural embeddedness uh, that I really kind of want to focus uh, in this book. And I think it's important for STS in general. I think the whole basic premises of STS is to look at this articulation between politics, social, culture, and what we might used to think as a, you know, science technology as something neutral, but it is not. So I think that's important. And the second thing is to look at the unintended consequences 
of practice in science and technology. And oftentimes we bring a new um, scientific knowledge or practice into place. Uh, people have certain intentions and they think it will produce certain uh, consequences. But if you look at reality, uh, oftentimes it's not. I think the book you, you probably have read, The, the Conscience and the Technology Save China, um, Susan Greenhall and I co-edited, we make that point as well. You know, to look at the unintended consequences, to look at reality, oftentimes there is a big gap between intention and reality. And I think it's very uh, important to focus on that. And then, of course, China uh, is largely authoritarian state. So I think the degree to which uh, politics uh, shapes science and technology and vice versa for the Chinese case is much more pronounced than other places. So I think China can provide a very, very uh, strong, good example for us to to dive, dive even more deeply into the interconnection uh, between politics, culture, and STS. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much, Lee. And uh, thank you all for listening. You've just listened to Professor Li Zhang in Technoviews. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please send us your comments and suggestions on our website at scitechasia.org.